Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your hosts Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. Uh, today we have a very special guest, but before introducing him, I want to uh, talk with Ralph because he is uh, still in Costa Rica, I believe, where he's having a great time. Hi Ralph, how are you doing? Hey there, Ugo. I'm really well. Yes, I am here in Costa Rica and I am indeed having a great time. Uh, how's, the, how's the country? Is this your first visit? It is, uh, and it's a place that I, it was never really high on my radar, but I'm so glad that I got down here and I have just absolutely fallen in love with the place and just the, the wildlife is off the charts. National Geographic calls it the most biologically intense place on earth, and I can see why. It's just gorgeous. And is it uh, just the wildlife or uh, also that there is some culture, people, uh, colonial cities? I don't know. I don't I don't have much of an idea about Costa Rica. Yeah, the, as far as colonial cities goes, unfortunately not. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, real architectural interest. However, uh, there's great markets. The people are wonderful. Uh, just outside uh, the resort where I'm staying is just outside of a small town called Puerto Jimenez and so we've done some walks around there and there's great people and artisans and shops and things like that so there's uh, definitely different types of photography outside of just wildlife because I am not a wildlife photographer as you know I consider myself a travel photographer and so uh, one thing that I always look for is the cultural aspect to any destination. So uh, Costa Rica does have that as well, but uh, obviously uh, wildlife is a huge part of, uh, of this trip. I'm, I'm wondering because you, you know, I remember you're the kind of uh, one camera, one lens guy and typically a very lightweight kit. So you don't usually carry a long lens. Can you get really close to wildlife or do you need to carry a big zoom or telephoto yeah i know it's a great question um i uh, am a one body one lens shooter and i've got a 14 to 140 on my 2x crop sensor uh gx8 by lumix right now that i'm using so it's really a 28 to 280 and uh, i found that that was still somewhat limiting when it comes to photographing animals that are sort of way up in trees like sloths and uh, fast-moving monkeys so i'll be making some gear recommendations for my folks for next year however that doesn't mean that someone has to go out and buy a you know 150 to 600 lens or anything uh, people can use extension tubes and uh, there's macro photography uh, we've gotten some amazing uh macro type photography uh, we did a night shoot with frogs and spiders and things like that that were simply done with the iphone so uh, if someone wants to do the really long you know far away type wildlife photography uh, they'll, they'll still be able to see the animals but may not be able to reach but we've got scopes and things like that and uh, there may be a situation where we can actually have the resort provide lenses for us or access to lenses so people don't have to bring down these huge heavy uh, lenses or, or this type of gear and it uh, will be available down there that's something that we're working on did you manage to get a sloth in your I, lens no i got two sloths <laughs> i got both a three-toed and a two-toed sloth which oh. was absolutely amazing uh, what happened is that they've got something they call the the grand slam in a double header and so within about four or five hours i captured all four monkey species and the two sloth species and uh, people are lucky to see that in a whole trip i saw it in four or five hours one morning it was absolutely spectacular i had no idea that there were two different species of sloths and they're they're distinguished by the number of fingers they have yeah the, the, toes. Toes. the toes and uh and my understanding is that they, and I could be wrong, but I need to find this out, but um, I believe that the, the sloths are close, more closely related to 
uh, an anteater than they are to each other, mm. which just blows me away. But I'm going to have to double check on that stat. Yeah, cool. So you, so it's you, been great. This has been a, a scouting trip for a future uh, tour there that you are planning to organize, right? That's right. Uh, as you know, I always try to scout a destination a year in advance so I can be there at the same time of year, see what the weather's like, the different conditions. And uh, so this is for a trip that uh, we'll do next June, July of 2019. So I'm really excited about that. Um, what do you think? Should we do a future episode that all about Costa Rica where you can tell everyone about your uh, what you discovered there? Absolutely. I think it's a, a wonderful destination for people that are looking for uh, photography opportunities. And I will be uh, interviewing our local guide here, Dennis Valverde, who is uh, an exceptional photographer and a wildlife animal whisperer. He, uh, he really talks to animals and Yeah, he gets them to, to respond to his calls and come sometimes to him or into the area that we're photographing. So he's a, a really incredible resource when it comes to photography, and he's a great photographer. So good stuff there. Good. So, folks, stay tuned for an upcoming episode about Costa Rica. I'm personally excited and really looking forward to, to listening to it because a few years ago, I had a half a plan to go there, but that didn't materialize. So maybe I will... Uh, Uh, try again one of the maybe next year who knows so um, uh, let's now talk about our guest I'm really excited about uh, having him today I think our guest doesn't need a lot of introduction because uh, I mean pretty much everybody should know him uh, he's the president and CEO of Kelby One editor and publisher of Photoshop user magazine conference technical chair for the photoshop world conference and expo host of the uh, photography talk show the grid and founder of the annual scott kelby worldwide photo walk so welcome scott kelby thanks guys glad to be here it's great to have you here and uh, we had the pleasure of uh, meeting face to face while in in chicago last week for the out of chicago conference and uh, yeah and i just want to jump right into uh, the conversation talking specifically about the the out of chicago conference because i was uh, really uh, it was a great moment the conference started with your your keynote right and uh, that, that was a, a very funny and entertaining and, and also thought-provoking moment because the your, your keynote the title was something like the the things that they don't tell you as a photographer or something something like that is that right Yeah, it's, it was called uh, The Stuff They Don't Tell You. Yeah, yeah. So we want to tell us about what, what they don't tell you about photography that you should know. Maybe just give us, we don't want you to spill the beans on a photo. Yeah, it your, was a 90-minute keynote. Yeah, yeah, sure. So maybe just a couple of things or, or three, as, uh, as many as you like, to things that are not so, so obvious. Well, uh, th these are kind of the things, uh, and the reason I wanted to do that as, as my talk was, there are a lot of things that photographers talk about kind of amongst themselves. Like, you know, after a shoot, you're at the bar and you're sitting there talking about things. And I hear a lot of photographers talk about things that I think are important, but because maybe they're sensitive or they don't want to share their secrets or they feel as controversial, they, they don't share it with a larger audience. And so that's what I kind of wanted to do was share some things now and unfortunately that we're, we're doing an audio podcast and uh, there's mm -hmm. that that show included that 90 minutes included 267 slides so yeah. there was and i know it doesn't seem like there was that many slides but because they they very few of them stay on screen very long which is part of the idea <laughs> which is that keep things moving but So it, it's going to be a little, a little tough without the visuals, right? Because we're visual learners. We're visual people, right? Photographers. So uh, it will be kind of like, well, close your eyes and picture this. But I, I can give you a couple of things that, that we talked about. Um, one of the topics that's a big topic that is, is kind of controversial, and uh, it would be a, a whole different thing with the visuals, but it is that a part of the, part of the way you're going to be judged as a photographer is how you pick your subjects. 
And I, I used an example of showing food photography uh, to show two different uh, uh, burgers uh, uh, shot under identical light. And one looks awesome and one looks awful. And um, they're both stock photos that I, you know, I, I used. And, and so I asked the crowd, which one would you, which photographer would you hire, A or B? And, of course, everybody would hire the one that took the fantastic burger shot. But the lighting was the same and the, the everything was the same. The f-stop was the same. The lighting was the same. All things were the same. But one photographer would be the one you'd hire hands down. And the other one you wouldn't hire to do anything. But the problem wasn't the photography. The problem was the subject. I don't care what kind of lighting you buy. I don't care what f-stop you use. If you're shooting a very ugly burger, it's going to look ugly. The other one was done by a food stylist, which is a person who makes their living styling food and making it look awesome. And so uh, when you look at the two side by side, there's no question. It's like one's a junky car and one's a beautiful car. And and I guess the point I was trying to I don't guess, the point I was trying to make was you're going to be judged by what by what you choose to shoot. If you shoot a landscape in Arizona at dawn on a beautiful morning, people are going to think you're amazing landscape photographer if you instead decide to shoot a landscape somewhere in ohio at two o'clock in the afternoon you can use the same settings you could be same camera gear same everything you're not going to come away with as good a shot and so if 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 you i guess the point of this whole thing is how important the subject is you have to start with something great and if you're starting with something that's less than great you better be a really, really good photographer. So if you're shooting landscapes and you're shooting out west or you're shooting in the Grand Canyon or you're shooting at Antelope Canyon Slots or one of these places, that's amazing. Your job's going to be easy. If you're shooting in Cleveland, Ohio, your job's going to be really, really hard. And so the point was to, to open the eyes to photographers of exactly how important it is that you uh, – that, that you choose your subjects carefully, whether it's people or locations or automobiles or whatever it is that you're shooting. If you're shooting a Ferrari, it's going to be a lot easier to come away with a great shot that impresses people than if you're shooting a Toyota Camry. So that's the uh, that was the theme of one of the things that we talked about. Another thing that we talked about was... May I uh, if you, interrupt you just to... Uh, expand oh, sure. a little a little bit on this this thing here but i was thinking that maybe a photographer that can take a, a toyota camry and make it look awesome would be a really great photographer is it i mean isn't it trying to find harder subjects to shoot and make them interesting isn't, isn't there something to be said for that well of course there is but what i'm saying is is i think you might be missing the point there mm -hmm. The, the point is, is, you know, I, I will sum it up this way. One day, uh, this is a quote that Joe McNally said, who's obviously a very famous living legend of photography. An editor at one of, I think it was Life magazine, told him, Joe, if you want to take better pictures, stand in front of more interesting things. You can stand in front of a Toyota Camry. And there is an art to getting a good shot of a Toyota Camry. If you look in the Toyota Camry catalog or the brochure that you get at the Toyota dealer, they'll have beautiful shots of a Toyota Camry. You have to be really, really good to get a good shot of a Toyota Camry. If you're shooting a Ferrari, it's going to be easier to get a good shot because you're shooting something that is more interesting. If all you're shooting is Toyota Camrys, all the time and you get the opportunity to shoot a Ferrari, all of a sudden everyone will think you're a better photographer. Not because you got better, but because you're shooting a better subject. And that's the, the overall point. Not that you can't make a Toyota Camry look good. Obviously photographers do it all the time. But in the point I was trying to make was how important this, as a photographer a lot of times you get to choose the subject, especially if you're not a professional photographer. You're not a professional photographer. You're choosing whether to shoot in a beautiful landscape or not. If it's a client, the client says, I need you to shoot this Toyota Camry. You shoot the Toyota Camry. Um, but if you're not doing professional work, then the world is your oyster and you can choose what to shoot. 
And so going back to the quote that Joe said was, you can shoot a Toyota Camry or you can stand in front of more interesting things. And I think this is important for us travel photographers. I mean, this podcast is all about travel photography. Just put yourself in front of more interesting subjects, which might mean traveling farther away because many subjects nowadays are a bit uh, over-exploited. So if you want to find something really interesting, you probably have to, to travel where fewer people have traveled. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at something that the most the most Instagrammed image in the world, the image that is shown the most of all of images online is the Eiffel Tower. And so if you go and you're the next person to take a shot of the Eiffel Tower, mm -hmm. no one's going to go, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. What is that? Oh my gosh, where is that? That is really unique. They're going to go, oh, Eiffel Tower. That's nice. And, and so if you were to come back with a temple buried in some place in the jungle of Africa, people are going to go, wow, where's that? You know, uh, it's, it's that same kind of thing. If, if you shoot the places that everyone shoots, they're going to give you the, oh, that looks nice. Oh, that looks good. But when you go someplace exotic or someplace different or, you know, and you bring back shots that people haven't seen a million times, wish I could find that article. I just, just read it the other day. What were the most photographed, let me see if I can find it real quick, because I happen to have an internet connection. Most photographed, there it is, the 10 most photographed places on Earth. Too hard to find. So please and, send, uh, send us the link and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I just typed in literally the, the most, I, I wrote the words most photographed, and I didn't finish, and it came up with the 10 most photographed places on Earth from Thrillist, T-H-R-I-L-L-I-S-T dot com. And it is the 10 most photographed places in the world. And as I bring it up, the very first thing it shows me is a photo of, um, looks like the, it's one of the gargoyles from the top of the um, Notre Dame in Paris. Yeah, with the and Eiffel Tower in the background, the, probably. Yeah, and it shows <laughs> you the number 10 spot is Budapest, and number 9 is Buenos Aires, and... Florence, Italy, and on and on and on, and you know, Venice, Istanbul, and then another place in Paris and Barcelona. Anyway, it's going to, and then anyway, but there, but that's one list. There's there's a number of lists. That's just the first one that came up when I started typing in the word top. But if you want to take something more interesting, you know, you're in travel, you want to go someplace more exotic. And the more exotic that you go, you now last in the last couple of years, the big exotic place to go has been Iceland. And when you go to Iceland now, you're fighting 200 other photographers in the same location that you are. Everyone's caught on to Iceland. It's time to move on to something else. Um, the, the, I guess the, a new, the new hot destination is the Faroe Islands uh, in Denmark. And I think one of the reasons why it's hot is because no one's been there <laughs> and they're really hard to get to. So, if you want to make some guaranteed amazing travel images, go to the Faroe Islands. They're, you're not going to see a million shots of it yet, and uh, it's not overrun with photographers yet. But, you know, if, as soon as that one gets filled, they'll find something else. But uh, I just went to the, uh, the Lofoten Islands in Norway, um, and there weren't that many photographers there. But I understand now just these tiny little islands in the northern uh, Norway now get a million tourists per year. Mm. So that one's getting really, really popular. But I guess that's the overarching thing is for travel photography. Don't go to one of those places that everybody else has been. If you go take another picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, no one's going to go, why is that building leaning? You know, <laughs> It's going to be like, oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, there's the Colosseum in Rome. Yep, it still looks the same. And that's not to say that those aren't fun places because I've been to Rome and I've been to Pisa and I took the same shots everybody else did. But I wasn't trying to build my portfolio. I was on vacation with my family. <laughs> if I was trying to build my, 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 uh, my portfolio as a travel photographer, you know, I'd be looking for unusual places. Lisbon is a pretty hot place right now. Uh, it's inexpensive. 
there's a lot of unique things and not everybody's been to Lisbon. So Lisbon is a getting more popular, but uh, that's a, it's a great place. And Portugal in general has got a lot of awesome, awesome places to go. Yeah. I just uh, got back from a scouting trip to Portugal uh, this about a month ago. And uh, I completely agree. It seems on the beaten path because it's right in Western Europe, but everyone kind of jumps over it to get to Spain or Italy. Yeah. Uh, more high-profile names, and just uh, left Portugal alone, which is fantastic. Because <laughs> now you go there, yeah, it's a gem. Not, yeah, it's it's amazing. The food, uh, everything about it is just outstanding. Ooh, yeah, and uh, it's cheap yeah. it's compared to the rest of compared to the rest of Europe. Super cheap. Yeah, and, and what I do love about it too, as, especially as a, 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 a tour leader, is the fact that the distances between locations are anywhere from 30 minutes to three hours almost at the most, which is wonderful. So you don't not spend it. So if you're day. going to Porto, right, three hours away, you're going to Porto. Yeah, and 30 exactly. minutes away, you're going to Sintra. Yeah, it's it's all right there. It's fantastic. So, Okay, so what else they don't tell you? Um, well, let's see. <laughs> Let me think for a second. Well, another thing that, that they tell you is if, if you do want to go pro, if you at some point want to try to make a living from this, even if you don't want to make a living, but you want to earn some money from it, you're going to have to develop your own look. Now, that look may come from lighting. It may come from your camera technique. It may come from your choice of subjects. It may come from your post-processing. It will probably mostly come from your style of post-processing, but it can be a combination of those. But you have to come up with some look that's uniquely your own, where people look at your shot and go, oh, I want this photographer because they make their stuff look like this. Because nowadays, everybody can take a good picture. If you go and buy a $500 camera, open it up, leave it in auto mode and point it at something, it's gonna take a very nice picture. Uh, you can take great pictures with your phone. Why would somebody pay you money to take a picture that looks like everybody else's picture? Well, my friend's got a good camera. Heck, I've got a good camera. Why would I pay you? So if you want a chance of someone to pay you for your work, you're going to have to bring something different. And I, in the uh, keynote, I showed uh, three different photographers and I showed their work. And they were very, very different, very, very different styles. But I, I looked at their work over a period of time and I showed how, you know, look at these shots from five years ago. Look at this shot from this year. If you get your portrait done by this person, it's going to look like that. And the reason why people hire this person is because they want their portrait to look like that. And in the, in the case I was showing an example I was showing and I had really, really clear examples that, you know, showed here's a particular lighting look and a particular type of post-processing and all. And it was, it was just, it's an on the money look and you're like, yeah, I'd pay for that. And so th those are the people that are successful, people who have developed a, a particular type of look, a trademark look. And I always tell people, you know how you'll know when you're getting there, when someone looks at a photo and they go, Oh, I knew that was yours. The second I saw it. Well, that's a pretty good indication of, yeah, that's, <laughs> you're de that's you developing your look. When people start to realize that they look at 10 photos and they can pick yours out, you're on your way. So that, that would be another one of the things that people don't really talk about is how important developing your own look is. Everyone's worried about exposure and like all this type of stuff and, and gathering gear and stuff. It's like that all compels in, in comparison to having your own look, a look that people could look at five different photographers and go, nope, I want her because she delivers this look. And without that, why would anyone really, why, if you just take a nice picture that's not too dark or not too bright, why would anybody care? So that was another another one of the topics that that we talked about. Scott, let me let me uh, expand on that a little bit with you. Um, you know, with the, you showed several photographers, and and uh, I, I, if I recall, the, the the woman had this very particular look, and it was mostly portraits of people. Beautiful mm. photographer. Uh, as travel photographers, uh, we sort of have to be jacks of all genres, masters of some. And so we're talking landscapes, people, architecture, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do you think someone needs to have their own landscape look, portrait look, architecture look, or is that 
that sort of that style, something that's going to go across all those genres. Well, I, I think if the, if if you remember back to the keynote, I showed a woman who does travel. Uh, her name is Maria Marie, and her Instagram handle is say say Maria C E S T Maria, and she uh, she shoots across all kinds of stuff. She does products. She does people. She does buildings. She does hotels. She does everything, uh, and and. Even though those are all different genres that I just gave you, like um, I, I, she had a shot uh, by a, a resort pool. She had uh, pouring herself a cup of coffee. She had candies in a store. She had uh, a plate settings. She had her coming out of a, a of a, of a, a bed and breakfast. She had the books that were in the room where she was staying. I mean, she had all these different things. And it's all different genres. It's people, it's places, it's travels. They all, all look the same. You know every one of her shots was taken by her because she takes that same style and applies it to whatever she's shooting. So her people shots, you could take the people out. It would still look the same. So she she has, this is like, this is my style and this is how I shoot. And companies are paying her left and right to go and do these jobs. And that's because she's she's got that style. And and you look at her stuff and you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's seven different genres and she they all look the same, and and that's what is really about that's what really captures a style in that it doesn't matter what you're shooting it's your style it's the way you crop your images it's the tones that you look for it is it's all this different stuff and so it's it 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 it, it in a case of of wedding or um. Yeah, if you're a wedding photographer, it doesn't matter if it's a destination wedding, if it's in a classical church, if it's someone's backyard and all, um, it, it should always look like you. It should always have your stamp on it. Absolutely. Do you think it's, uh, speaking, still speaking of, of style or a signature style, we can call it, do you think people create their own style or they do more discover their own style? Is this something that consciously, like Maria said, okay, well, I want to create a signature style that has certain type of tones and colors and arrangement of subjects and so on? Or do you think, of course, you cannot go into her head, but maybe speaking of from your experience, is this something that you, over the, the years, you developed almost unconsciously and then you discover and say, oh, here's my own vision, here's my style? I would say now without talking to her, without knowing her, I would say that she started shooting what she likes the way she likes it. Like mm -hmm. I think that, she, and then other people were like, Hey, I love what you're doing. Would you do that for me? I don't think that she probably set out to create a brand or any of that stuff. I think she started probably shooting stuff just the way she likes it, but a lot of other people like it too. And you know, she's got, you know, tons of followers. And, and I think it's because other people that connect with with what she does, but I, it doesn't seem contrived to me at all. It seems like she was just shooting the stuff that she found in, found interesting, and I think that you know it's a great way to see someone's style evolve is to go to their Instagram page and scroll all the way to the beginning, go all the way to their first post, and then scroll slowly back up to where they are today, and you can see a lot of times their subject matter changing and their their they'll go through stages where they're in their dark phase and everything's kind of gloomy and moody and then they'll go into this bright stage and i think that's an interesting way to be able to look and see someone's style evolve and and i don't i don't know what her story is as far as how her style evolved but it just seems so organic and natural with her you know it just seems like yeah this is what i shoot and then other people like it too so i'll do i'll do it for them um, but, uh, again, I, th I think sometimes your style grows out of what you like. And, uh, I think it's kind of like, I always, I always, uh, refer this or, or compare this to learning guitar. So at first we learn guitar by copying other people. You learn the solos of your favorite guitarists and you learn them note by note. Um, but then of course those songs have already been recorded. It's not going to help you <laughs> so much to know those, but what will happen is, you take a little bit of what you like from this solo, a little bit like from that solo, a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there, and you kind of create your own recipe. 
And I think that you'd kind of do it unconsciously and people, your style emerges from copying other people. I think and this... I always think that's a great, great way to learn. It's not, you don't want to copy them to copy them. You want to copy them to learn from them and then let your own style emerge from that. I think the secret might be that you need to consciously develop your own style and then make it look like it just came out of nowhere and it's just completely organic. Maybe. Well, that that would be nice if that's <laughs> if that's the case, and I'm sure that is the case for some people. That they set out to be like, look, I want to look, and what look do I want, you know? And I mean, I'm certain that there are people that do that exact same thing. Uh, and in her, in her case, that may have been it. But I think for a lot of people that have become uh, famous on Instagram previously, not the new people coming to it today, because I think today when people go on Instagram. They're very like, I know what I want to do and I want to get sponsors and it's a whole different world. But uh, in the organic days of Instagram, when people were, were building their followings organically, uh, I think a lot of people were just doing it for fun. And they're just, this is how what I like to shoot. And, you know, I like to shoot flowers and I only shoot flowers and that's what I'm going to shoot every single day. And their style kind of grew out of it. And people would go, ooh, I particularly love that shot. One of the nice things about Instagram is you can see if you uh, like – subscribe to someplace like Iconosquare, it's very easy to look at your account and see exactly which images people like. And if you start to see a trend like, ooh, everybody likes this style, I'm going to do more of that. I don't think that's necessarily inorganic, but I do think that is being smart about developing your style. When you see what kind of images people are drawn to, do more of that. Yeah, I would think that the that's a style sort of emerges over time and you start feeling like, you know, I enjoy this type of photography. I'm getting good reactions and, uh, and then go in that direction. Um, yeah. I, yeah. That's a good point. Uh, your, your keynote was very humorous and, and you're a humorous guy in general. Uh, you know, what, uh, how does humor fit into photography for you? Is it something that just keeps you, you know, keeps you interested, and you just have try to have fun with it? Well, I don't. I don't shoot anything humorous. I don't. There's no genre that I do. I never do like comedy photography or anything like that. I never do photos that I think are whimsical or any of this stuff. It's just not my style. But I think, as far as education goes, that we know because they've done tons and tons of studies. Uh, people will remember what you're teaching much better if they are, if, if you wrap it in a story. And most of them are just stories. Like I'm telling stories about things that happened, or you know, and I'm showing examples. Um, they're they're based on real life stories. I don't usually have to make up my uh, stories. <laughs> they're they're usually <laughs> crazy things that just happen, or, or things that I've experienced, or things that I've witnessed. But but uh, in most cases, I'm using humor as a device to help people remember. If I say something, a particular line, it's it, it, it sticks with people. We also know from all kinds of research that if people are laughing and they're having fun, they are more open to learning new things, that they it puts them into, especially creative people, into a, a, a literally a better place to learn. It sets their mind to a particular, um, it releases a particular endorphin that says, hey, this this is fun, I'm having fun, I'm learning, I'm, my mind is open. Because you can also have a very closed-minded audience. Uh, you can give a very serious presentation and you can battle with the audience or you can, you know, make it fun. And, and that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to communicate and make it fun and have people enjoy themselves. Um, I don't tell jokes during the the presentation. I just comment on things that are you know, I could never be a stand-up comedian because I don't have any jokes. I don't have any, hey, a guy walked into a bar, you know. But it's like a lot of the things that, that happen in photography just by human nature are just funny. You know, it's just it, – and I think a lot of it is just looking at at the human nature aspect of it. Uh, and I, I do – I make uh, – what would you call it? More like wisecracks and things that are related <laughs> to what we're talking about rather. They're not jokes, but – if, if I know this, if people are laughing, they're interested and they're engaged and their minds are open to learn new things. So I just try to make the presentations 
fun and 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 I'm having fun when I do it. You know, I really enjoy presenting and I I love teaching and it's something I feel like I've been called to do. And so I really do. I I love being um, it. I love being on stage and looking out in the audience and seeing people's heads nodding like, oh yeah, I get it. Uh, as an educator, that's like a home run. You you want to see people really rethinking things. And I talked to so many people after that keynote, people coming up to me and saying, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Or I, I, I this opened my mind to all kinds of new things. And I, I could certainly have done it with a very serious tone, but I don't think that it, it doesn't inspire and it doesn't stick and they don't remember it as well. And they're not, they're not jazzed to go, yeah, I got to try this stuff. It's kind of like, you know, I know when I when I sit in in a in a lecture, and even if the information is very good, if the presenter isn't engaging, I zone out. I start thinking about other things. I get lost in their presentation, and it's you know. So I I just try to make it fun. I think I think humor can be very disarming, and and I like what you say that it kind of then people become even more open to learning. And uh, will absorb more. That makes so much sense. I love it. Yeah, and they 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 have all kinds of scientific studies to show that they do. But uh, before the scientific studies were done, I was doing it because I I, I want to have fun. And if the instructor is having fun, if you are really into it and enjoying what you're talking about, and you're passionate and you're enthusiastic, that that comes right off the stage and wait and goes right through the audience. And if you're you know bored or you know. <laughs> Like, well, here we go again. You know, it's like it, that's how it comes across to the audience. So I really do. I, I enjoy it so much. It's one of my very favorite things to do is to getting to teach. And so anytime I get the opportunity and the the more dry the subject, the more fun I try to make it. But, you know, these just like like we were talking about, uh, you were asking me earlier, does does say Maria, you know, does is it organic or does she plan it? You know, uh, I sometimes I, I'm talking and something just comes up and I just say it and sometimes it's funny and sometimes it drops like a bomb and there's <laughs> it's dead silence. Um, and if it's funny, I say it again. And if it bombs, I try not to say it again. <laughs> and some of it is just organic or something happens one day or you just make a crack and it's just, you know, and sometimes I say things out loud. Maybe I, I probably shouldn't. But that's how you find out what works and what doesn't is you you look up on screen and you're having a thought and you go, hey, that guy looks kind of crazy or whatever. And um, it, it either works or it's just dead silence. And when it's dead silence, you just move on. <laughs> try not to try not. To yeah, I, I, it just happened. I, I do a, a bit of public speaking myself and, and I try to throw in some humor and, and there's nothing like getting a laugh from the audience. And you can see why. Uh, why stand-up comedians are are just hooked on it, it seems. But uh, yeah, you you mentioned post-processing earlier, and you said how important the importance of post-processing to to developing one's own style and and so on. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're you're a master of post-processing. How many books have you published on Lightroom and Photoshop? Do you know? Well, um, if, if Lightroom and Photoshop and photography, uh, over 80. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. So speaking of um, post-processing, and especially in the realm of travel photography, uh, mm -hmm. do you think that uh, there is a point at which post-processing is just too much post-processing? At least according to, to your own internally set rules, are there things that you would never do? Well, I mean... I think it's like anything else. That's like saying, is there a point where there's too much salt in your food? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, of course. Um, it's just, I, I think everybody has different tolerances for what they like. Uh, I, I know that they're, I, they're very different. The, how the public reacts to our photos is very different to how other photographers react to our photos. And, and I'll give you an example. Um, there is a photographer named Peter Lick, and he is an Australian photographer. He has a number of galleries. I think he holds the record for the most expensive photo ever sold. And if you go in his galleries, his images are big and they're beautiful and they're expensive as anything. And I have a lot of respect for him. I think he is awesome. I think he is a great photographer, and I think he is a great businessman, and I just love him all the way around. 
And when I go into his uh, galleries, and I always do if I'm in Las Vegas or something, I go into his galleries and I take a look, and um, I, uh, I, um, I, I think, wow, this stuff is beautiful. It's it's very very vibrant, and he is making a tremendous amount of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars every year, by making photography for the public. If you hear photographers talk about Peter Lick, they're very, very, very critical of him. And I, I can't tell you a photographer that I know that thinks Peter Lick is awesome. I think I'm the only one. They're always like, oh, that guy. Oh, his, his, his images are too saturated and all. Nope. His images are exactly what the public wants. The public loves vibrant, big, beautiful images. You know what else the public loves? Overdone HDR. If I... If I grab 10 random members of the public and I laid down five photographs of a landscape and one of them was overprocessed in HDR, they will always choose the overprocessed HDR photo every single time. It, what photographers think is good versus what the public thinks is good, it's a mile apart. And so there are different styles and you'll have photographers who are very critical of someone's post-processing and the public lines up to buy their images. It really is a very, it's a very interesting thing to sit back and look at because some of the most successful photographers who are selling their images are not the ones that are respected by the photography industry. Uh, let's look at Annie Leibovitz. I love Annie Leibovitz. I think she's awesome. And she's one of the most criticized by photographers. They're like, oh, she doesn't really know what she's doing. Oh, it's all her assistants and all. And this and that and the other. And I'm like, none of you will ever get a job where you'll have to worry about bidding against Annie Leibovitz. <laughs> it's like, it's they just don't understand what the public wants. And Annie, Annie Lieberwitz is brilliant at delivering, my gosh, her group shots and the this, this series that she did for, for Disney Corporation of Princesses. They're, they're just unbelievable. And yeah, it took 100 people to do them. People were building sets and making costumes and there's models and hair and makeup and light and all. But at the end of the day, they hired her for a reason and she delivered like you can't believe. And so uh, as far as post-processing goes, there's, there's just two different styles. There's the style that makes the public happy, and there's this, the much more conservative style that sometimes makes photographers happy. But it's very hard to make photographers happy. There's that saying, uh, the only thing two photographers can agree on is that the third photographer sucks. <laughs> And so yeah, I think we are a strange bunch. I mean, I don't know if yeah, this is the same a, in other. Yeah, <laughs> is it the same? I mean, you're you also play music. Is it? Do you think it's the same in music or other fields that the other musicians? Would no, just, I uh, don't. It's not like that in music. No, it isn't. <laughs> I no, it's that. a whole different thing. Uh, and and I'll give you an example. I, I've talked about this before. Is so if I walk up and, and I'm holding a Canon camera because I shoot Canon and I walk up to an Nikon and a Sony user, they're going to be like, oh, you're using a Canon. I wouldn't use that thing to shoot my kid's birthday party. And they'll start going off and they're, you know, it's, it's, that's not that way with music. If I walk up with a Fender guitar or I meet a guy and, and he goes, what kind of guitar do you have? I go, oh, I use a Fender Strat. And he uses a, the competitor to it, a Gibson Les Paul. You're like, oh my gosh, you got a Les Paul. Those are awesome. And that Les Paul guy's like, man, I had a Strat once. It's a whole different world. In 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 music, we admire each other's instruments. In photography, we attack each other's tools. And it's just stupid. It's just ridiculous. They're just our tools. And if one feels better in your hands than the other one, fine. They all you can't buy a camera today that doesn't take a good picture. Have you heard of someone buying a camera in the last couple of years and they go, yeah, that camera just will not take a good picture. No. I bought a Fuji and it just, it's awful and it will not take a good picture. I bought a Sony and it just, I press the button and everything looks horrible. No, but I, I heard other photographers say so. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It's, 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 it's silly and it's stupid and it's just, it, it is very different in the music world than it is in, and, and a lot of other 
You know, like if you go on the golf course and you pull out a tailor-made club and the next guy's got a ping iron or whatever, you're like, oh, how are those? Oh, I heard those are good. They're not like, oh, dude, you're using that club? What a moron. <laughs> it's just, I don't know what it is about photography. It, it bring, When it comes to gear and tools and things like that, it just brings it out the worst in us. But it, it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't need to be that way. We shouldn't feel threatened because somebody else chose a different brand. It's like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's very, it's very weird. But anyway, coming full circle all the way back to your original question, I think that whatever your post-processing tastes are now, they are going to change. Our tastes keep evolving. And I look back at images that I, I did three years ago, and I go back and open the raw original, I'm reprocessing them. I, I, as time goes on, you get better at the software. I'm better at Lightroom and Photoshop than I was three years ago. Uh, I've learned new techniques, and I've also my taste has changed, and so uh, my tastes are maybe uh, a little more conservative on tonality and uh, a lot more uh, liberal on uh, vibrance and color. I, I realize how much the public responds to colorful images, and it's why I don't shoot much black and white. I, I every time I look at a photo. I look at it in black and white, and I look at it in color. I go, that makes a really good black and white, but I like it better in color. And so uh, I realized that for the most part, people love very, very colorful images. And so I'm, I'm focused on when I do travel, uh, one of my main focuses for travel is color. And it's something that I keep in mind everywhere I go. And if you were to go um, look at my photos from Norway, um, they're very, very colorful. And, and I'm lucky that Norway is so naturally colorful that I didn't have to do ridiculous things to it. I usually don't use the vibrance command in Lightroom or Camera Raw to add, under, to add um, artificial vibrance uh, to my colors. Usually it's just adding the right amount of contrast makes your colors pop. Uh, it's it's adding the contrast that was lost in the raw capture process. I think it makes a big difference in the making your colors vibrant without doing it artificially. But um, yeah, I think wherever your wherever your tastes are, you know, it, it's really hard for me to to. Now, when I do critiques of other people's work, I'll, I the most common mistake that I see people make is literally just going too far. Yeah, I think most people, if you dialed back your your post-processing 20%, you'd be right on the money. Mm -hmm. But when you go over by 20%, it kind of makes you cringe. <laughs> but again, your your all of our tastes are changing quite a bit based on what we see on the internet. So I'm I'm more conservative now as far as overall, but more, you know, more liberal. I want to see more vibrant colors. I'm enjoying the vibrancy that I'm seeing in photos and I'm making sure that my photos are nice and vibrant. Um, Adobe's new uh, uh, color profiles, uh, they have a color profile called um, Vivid and they have one called Landscape. And these are raw profiles and they are so much better than what we had a year ago or six months ago. Uh, now our raw starting place looks dramatically better in Lightroom or Photoshop. And so the very first thing I do to any photo is either choose vivid or landscape, unless it's a portrait. So for my travel stuff, all of my travel is going to have either vivid or landscape, more likely vivid applied to the image as my very first step before I touch a single slider in Lightroom. Great stuff. Scott, uh, let, uh, let me shift just a little bit here. I wanted to, uh, talk about, uh, you know, this past year you celebrated your 10 year anniversary of the Scott Kelby worldwide photo walk. And I've organized and led at least six or seven in Chicago and Southern California for you. Uh, for those two or three of our listeners <laughs> who have not heard of or participated in this event, uh, please tell us about it and why it's important to you, you know, and, and to photography in general, getting photographers together on that scale. Yeah. Well, it is, it's a social event and it usually happens the first Saturday in October each year. And, uh, in a thousand cities around the world, we all get together for two hours apiece, <laughs> and, uh, a local walk leader like yourself. Thank you very much, by the way, uh, organizes a route. You all meet up, you walk for two hours. Usually it ends at a pub or a restaurant or a bar where everybody can kind of hang out, but really it's two hours of making friends. 
And if you, and it's weird because people have never done a photo walk go, so let me get this straight. You just walk around for two hours and you take photos as a group. Yep. That's it. What's so <laughs> great about that? Try it and you'll see there, there are lifelong friendships that have come out of those walks. Um, one of our dear friends came out of one of those, those walks that we met, you know, just on a local photo walk. Then we see her all the time and it was seven years ago. Um, there, there is such a great sense of community. It's when photographers really do come together and it's just fun. It's, it is, it's hard to explain until you've done one, but I, I've had people that tell me I did a photo walk this year and oh my gosh, I've never done one. And it's just, it was so much fun. We had such a great time and we're all talking on social and like, that's what it's about. It is really about creating a community social event and putting people together in your same city and getting people that didn't even know that they were neighbors and they all share the same interests. And there are groups that carry on and do a photo walk every month until the official one in October. Um, but the the reason we do it besides the social aspects and the fun aspect is every year we raise money for the Springs of Hope Orphanage in Nukuru, Kenya. It is a very, very important fundraising drive that we do for this very, very small orphanage. It uh, it houses, feeds, loves, cares, and educates for 51 children. And uh, we kind of help build this thing from the ground up. It was a empty plot of land a few years ago, and now it's an up and running orphanage. And every year... Um, the Worldwide Photo Walk supports it. We take all of the profits from our official T-shirt sales. They all go 100% to the the orphanage. And then we ask people when they sign up for the Worldwide Photo Walk if they would consider just donating one single U.S. dollar or a British pound or a euro. Anything's fine. Uh, but just to make some small donation. Now, there are people that go and donate $100. There's people that donate $1,000. There's people that go to the, the uh, website and pledge to give money every month. So there's people that go way beyond. But all we ever ask, and, and it's, of course, optional, was is to just give $1 to help the orphans. You know, we're all walking around with $3,000 worth of camera gear, $5,000, $7,000, $9,000. It's $1. And so we ask people, you know, just give a buck and and help these kids. And every year, that orphanage literally depends on the money that we bring in from that worldwide photo walk. So it's important to them. It's important to me, and it's important to um, a lot of people that that you know that want to help. And so it's 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 fun and good on so many levels. There also is a contest to it. So we have local contests, and then all of the people that win the local walks are the best best photo in each city moves on to a big national uh, conference. And our, our sponsor for the last number of years has been Canon. And they put up some wonderful prizes, usually a nice camera and a lens and some printers and some other stuff. So it is, it's a, it's a pretty awesome uh, prize package. And Adobe, there's Adobe prizes and think tank photo bags. And we put together a grand prize and then 10 finalists. And uh, so you are, there is a competition aspect to it, but that's really it. It's a, it's a social photography event that has a community aspect and a, uh, it has a, a bigger, you know, thing in helping the orphanage. It has a social aspect, a social community aspect to it as well. I was just going to say, and there, and there is no cost to it at whatsoever. If, even if you don't want to spend that $1, uh, oh, yeah. to join completely free. So there's oh, yeah. no reason whatsoever not to join, right? <laughs> yeah, it's super free and all, you know, it's just, it's right there in your hometown because it'll be in a thousand cities around the world. And so it's literally just, yeah, show up, walk and have a great day. And at the end of it, you can, you don't even have to go to lunch if you don't want to or dinner or whatever the thing. Some of them do it at night and some of the leaders, they go and do all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, I'll look at some of the group photos from like the Philippines or from Egypt or whatever, and everyone's got matching shirts and they do all kinds of stuff. Some will bring models on their shoots. Some will get access to special places. Some will do them at amusement parks. You know, we have photo walks every year at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland. And so it's it's. It's different everywhere, and that's what makes it so cool. But everybody coming together for one day and doing this photo walk, it's its just an awesome thing to see. And I got to tell you, just from a selfish aspect, you know, we ask everyone to take a group shot right when their photo walk is about to start. 
and I, I look at all these images from around the world of all these people, you know, and just they're from everywhere. You're looking and, and I see them pouring in, you know, here's an image from Singapore and here's an image from uh, Saudi Arabia and here's an image from China and here's an image from Moscow. And it's just all over the world. And, and when you see everybody posing for the images and they're smiling and all these photographers with all their gear and stuff and you're like, wow, there there is a community of people and they're, they come together this one day and they have so much fun and seeing all their smiling faces, I swear it melts my heart. It is my, it, of all of it is my favorite part is looking at the group shots. It's just such a kick to look at the group and wonder like, man, I wonder what it was like to be in that group. You know, they're marking in Ireland. I wonder what their path was like. And I wonder, you know, where they wound up at the end of their walk. And it's just, I I look at each photo and I just look at the people and the smiling faces and I just wish I could go to everyone. And I host one in a different city around the world every year. And, um, and last year I was in Where was I last year? In Lisbon. I was in Lisbon of all places. And the year before I was in Venice and then before that in Paris and in Rome and different places. And I I get to pick a different city every year, thankfully. And I do, you know, I shoot photos and I walk around. I don't shoot many photos while I'm there. (laughs) I'm talking to everybody. You know, that's, uh, you know, it's just I'm not teaching because it's not a teaching thing. It's a social thing. So, you know, and if people ask me questions, of course, I, I answer and want to help if I can. But I just want to hang out and I love people. I love meeting people. So it, it all comes together on that day. And I, I just have such so much fun. I, I look forward to it so much each year. And we're already deep in the planning for this year's right now. So when can we look forward to this year's announcement for the 2018 photo walk? Well, we usually announce two months before the walk. So we have the official date. Now, anyone that led a walk the previous year, so all the leaders that led last year, will get the opportunity first to have a walk this year. So we will be contacting the leaders in just a few weeks, literally, to say, okay, if you want to still lead a walk this year, go grab your city, grab your spot, go, go, go. And uh, and then so when we actually do make the official announcement, there'll already be hundreds of photo walks set up around the the uh, world on day one. Oh, great! So having led a photo walk last year, I'm looking forward to getting that email That's right, yeah. and planning we'll for this year. <laughs> Definitely going to do it. Excuse me, Scott. Um, and and you had mentioned that you know it's in your local town, but wherever you are in the world, chances are very good that you're going to find someone else leading a photo walk or you could arrange a photo walk anywhere in the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be. Absolutely. Because people will say, wow, there's no walk in Carson city, Nevada. I'm like, well, maybe you should start one, (laughs) you know, and, and that's why we're looking for people that, that have some experience, you know, with a group, right. If you, if you're part of a, you know, a, photography club or something you're used to leading a group of people or you know because there's people that are, are very good at managing people uh, the maximum a walk can have is 50 people and there will be many many walks with a maximum of 50 people now think about 50 people moving down the street of your hometown it's one thing if you're in chicago it's another thing if you have 50 people walking in a very small town <laughs> it looks like a biker gang descended on there it, and people will come up and go is there somebody famous here is this paparazzi what's going on who is it we're like it's it's not really <laughs> but um but you know that that's that conference that we were been talking about the out of chicago uh photography conference it's based on photo walks right the whole conference is really based on getting people out and walking around in groups and going to different locations and they do a beautiful job with that conference and getting people out to neat places and like i was really jealous when i heard some of the places people were getting access to and old theaters and these classic buildings and they were doing a lot of architectural stuff and i'm like i want to go there but uh yeah it's it's uh (laughs) it's if you don't have a walk you can start one you can join one near you so a lot of people and there were there will be walks that have five and six people in them and i tell you what they have just as good a time i'll read their blog posts when there were five people and they were like we had an awesome mighty group of five it was raining and we still had a blast you know it's it you have to do it one time and, and it's weird to say you got to try it once and then you'll get it but you really do you try it once and you're like i can't believe how much fun i had and i think people are surprised that just walking around for two hours with other people would be as much fun as it is but it is so 
we are almost at one hour time here and we don't want to to abuse of your time i guess uh, you're busy so but it's been great we we had a lot of questions actually but i think uh, we went uh, on a tangent which is i hope it's perfectly fine we you threw us some tasty morsels and we just (laughs) ran away with them (laughs) and there's so much information to to unpack here so i'm I'm sure our audience will love this and and i personally loved every minute of this conversation i knew it was going to be great and uh, it didn't disappoint. Well, what else can I say? Uh, thank you. <laughs> Ralph, you have well, you're, anything you're more very to No, yeah, it's wonderful, Scott. Really a, a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your valuable time and uh, for all you do for all photographers. Uh, uh, you are the consummate educator, so thank you for that. Uh, you're very, very kind. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the, the opportunity to reach your listeners. It's always fun to, to meet and reach new people. And, and you guys are great. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And what's the, the best uh, place to, to find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Scott Kelby. I'm on Instagram as Scott Kelby. I'm on Google Plus at Scott Kelby. And on Facebook, it's different. <laughs> on Facebook, <laughs> it's facebook.com slash S Kelby, S-K-E-L-B-Y. So uh, that's, that's, those are good places. And I write a weekly blog at scottkelby.com. Great. So that's really all for today. Thanks uh, very much again and all the best. Hope we'll, uh, we'll meet again next year somewhere in Chicago or on a worldwide photo book. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> thanks thanks have a nice day bye thank you Cheers. Scott bye bye you bet alright Ralph uh, that was really a, a great conversation uh, really like uh, our guest Scott Kelby he's a great uh, presenter he's a great interviewee and it's great fun I mean if, you, if anyone has a chance to listen to one of his presentations or keynotes uh, it's, it's a lot of fun as well what do you say Scott, he's very humorous. Uh, it makes a, a very entertaining speaker, and he's uh, really fun to listen to. So great information if anyone has a chance to either see him online or check out his podcast or see him live. I would highly recommend it. All right. So before closing, would, would you just like to tell everyone where they can find more about you and your tours? Sure. People can look for any of my tour information at photoenrichment.com. You can also follow me on any of the social media networks at, uh, at Ralph Velasco and at Photo Enrichment. And uh, how about you, Hugo? Uh, as usual, uh, at my website, ucphoto.me. And I would just like to uh, use a few of these uh, remaining minutes that we have to mention a project that I've just started and it's called Better Living Through Photography. It has not much to do with travel photography. It has all to do with uh, um, for for the people who have got the best camera out there, they learn the technique, but they're still struggling with their photography. And I want to tell them, talk to them about the mindset, the little mindset mindset shift that I believe is necessary when you want to, to get to the next level. So, I would like to invite everyone to go to betterlivingthroughphotography.com and just sign up. There's going to be some lessons and I'm planning to make them freely available at least at the start. So there's no no harm in signing up and I will uh, inform everyone when I've got something available. And what about you? Do we have anything uh, coming up? Any tours? Or we're in the middle of summer here. It's uh, high season or low season for your tours. What's up? Actually, it's kind of low season. I did just, uh, um, you know, I'm here in Costa Rica right now, but I will be uh, back in the Chicago area for pretty much the rest of July and early August. Then I've got a sold out Copper Canyon trip, sold out Morocco, excuse me, sold out Romania. Then I'll be scouting in Armenia and Georgia in September. I'm very excited about that trip for next year, but do have some spaces left on our Colors and Cultures of India tour in November as well as Cambodia, led by another photographer, Patrick Monaghan, and as well uh, to Vietnam with myself leading. So we have some spaces available on those trips, and people can go to photoenrichment.com for more information or email me, ralph at photoenrichment. 
Great. And as for this episode, as always, uh, it will be, it is available uh, on our website at ttim.photo. And I think this is episode 139. So you can just go directly to ttim.photo 100 slash 139 and get all the show notes, the links to the, the things that Scott mentioned, some of his best photos. And, um, and everything else. And of course, uh, follow us, uh, subscribe on iTunes or the other platforms or Apple Podcasts. You will find the links at our website. And also I would like to mention our Facebook group where you can meet up uh, with uh, uh, like-minded fellow travel photographers at ttim.photo slash Facebook. And don't forget to... Uh to uh, submit for our photo contest as well. We're getting a lot of really great images and we'd love to see more. So people are winning every couple months and uh, we look forward to showing us what you've got. Absolutely. So I think that's uh, that's really all for now. We're uh, uh, It's been a quite a long episode, but I think it's been chock full of uh, useful and entertaining information. So now let's get out and shoot.